Live from the Whoville Key Party Fishbowl, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kevin, as always, I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. Hello, hello, hello. Now, Kenzo, I'm going to bring the viewers back to one week ago today when you and I arrived in the Austin Danger Podcast studio. Yes. And we found that it had been picked clean. Our torgles were torn. Our fumfoozlers were infringed upon. (laughs) Yes. Even our complimentary roast beast given to us. I don't know who gave that to us, but our roast beast was gone. Remember the our roast, roast beast? beast? Oh, we had a big roast beast ready. It was ready for Can us I to Can I tell feast. you, I worked for a guy once who gave everybody a butterball turkey on Thanksgiving. But he gave really? it to us on the Wednesday before with no notice. So my goodly mother already has a bird freezing in the fridge for like a week. Yeah. The gesture was really nice. The gesture nice. is kind, but also give people notice you're going to give them a but turkey the, the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. was a little rude, which was the story of that job. Anyway, folks, this is Austin Danger Podcast, and we will not be defeated by fascist Christmas-hating thieves. We're innovating on innovation by releasing a Christmas episode in January, okay? First of all, it's a national holiday. Happy. New Year, everybody. This is yeah. New Year's Day. New Year's and we Day. will not be defeated by the Grink. We are speaking into tin cans hooked up to an Apple II <laughs> I found in the bathroom of Awesome wow. Danger Podcast headquarters. <laughs> yes. Our Dabu's or Doris and baby. Today we are talking about the movie that started it all. <laughs> yeah, that really got you. Earlier this year, we talked about The Cat in the Hat, the movie that ended it all. But mm-hmm. the Grinch started it all. Audrey Geisel, the widow, goes to Universal and says, if you want to do the Grink, if you want to take Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas and bring it to the big screen, you would need somebody like Jim Carrey. You would need a proven director like Ron Howard. And they made it happen. And this week, we're talking about it. Oh, boy. Could we could we get to that any later? <laughs> The movie is Ron Howard's Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the 2000 holiday classic starring, of course, James Carey, Jeffrey Tambor, and uh, Christine Baranski, future Austin Ninja podcast legend. The icon. many others. The ice cream man, Clint Howard. Yeah, yes. Mindy Sterling, Austin Powers' own Mindy Sterling. That's right. Austin Powers' own Vern Troyer, who we'll talk about quite a bit this hour. Wait, Vern is tuned. Stay tuned. He's a random band guy. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Well, look, Austin Danger Podcast will not be intimidated into silence. We're going to talk about The Grinch, and then we're never going to talk about a live-action Dr. Seuss movie ever again on Austin Pod. The journey is over. There aren't any more, right, Shirley? Nope. After The Cat in the Hat, the Geisel Estate was like, that's enough forever. Stop it. (laughs) Between the two movies and the really unfortunate situation of what happened to Seussical, a lovely musical that just got blown out of proportion, they were done. Mm. Until the Lorax or whatever. The CG movies, which they don't seem to have a problem with. Got it. All of that and more later on in the episode. But Mm -hmm. first, Kenzo, we did have a significant delay in publishing episodes. Yes. It has been quite a long time. It's been a hot second. What you been watching? Well, God, there's so much. There's so much I watched. I'm looking at my... At my do, you want to, do you know what oh, I watched yeah. for the first time this year? In my little life, I watched It's a Wonderful Life for the very first time. Really? Never seen it before, ever. 
Uh, Merry Christmas, movie house. <laughs> I mean, I saw a play version of it actually a million years ago. My teacher played George Bailey in college, and I went to go watch him as George. And uh, I didn't super remember the beats of the of the film or the the story because I I mean it's been a hot second since I saw that. Um, but I'd never seen the film. I think it's one of those where it's just so totemic. You're like, ah, oh, it's too late for me, which is so goofy because it's never too late for anybody to watch anything. That's the beauty of film and, uh, and especially good ones. Uh, and you know, it's, uh, it rely, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very religious piece, which is not necessarily something that resonates with me around the holidays, but I, it, it makes sense for its time and the America it was speaking to. And uh, it's really hard to resist the charms of It's a Wonderful Life. It's It has that Casablanca energy of you're like, surely it's not as good as everyone says it is. And then you watch it and you go, oh, okay. Yeah, it's as good as everyone says it is. Uh, so yeah, obviously I gave it five stars. It's, it's delightful. I could nitpick. I could think about my own weird discomfort I have with certain aspects of it. But like it's it's still a life-affirming and joyous movie with some great performances obviously jimmy stewart the king uh he's he's incredible at it and donna reed's amazing and it's it's lovely it was like it was a good little christmas watch i'm glad i i i i checked it off my box i also just saw a movie that i'm gonna bring up later in austin news if you'll indulge me, because I also just remembered I need to run and go grab something, a, a physical source for Austin news. So uh, get excited, everybody. Um, oh, and I my guess... God. <laughs> I forgot I have to go grab it. It's in my bedroom. Uh, I'll do that. But um, I watched Anatomy of a Fall last night because uh, you yeah. talked about it on the show, right? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Talk about a movie that has taken over my mind. A movie that like I haven't rewatched it yet, but it has climbed up my best of 2023 list just by sticking around in my head it feels hard to talk about because i really if you have not seen it which i assume a lot of listeners haven't but now it is available to rent and the rental was like 5.99 which uh isn't bad i don't know what the plans are in terms of streaming but like i just paid that 5.99 we sat down i closed all my devices i said get away from me if you are electronic and not my television and i I honed in and I and this is just a this isn't a call out post for my for my wife for Rachel but you know when Rachel and I watch something she tends to be on like her bubbles game on her phone or or maybe typing on the laptop you know just doing other things as we typically do when we're home the laptop at a certain point in this movie the laptop began to close and the phone Mm -hmm. was out of the hand and like it was one of those you can't help but be honed in because you know, the whole marketing campaign is, did she do it? And because I think of that marketing campaign, you're sitting there just watching every movement on Sandra Huller's face, every little thing she does. And she, as an actress, is playing it so well because you can tell she knows she's going to be examined. And so she's making all of these incredible, lived-in, minuscule, interesting choices as an mm-hmm. actor. And then just Justine Triart as the director is letting us linger with her and so we're just you just get hypnotized by this i don't know this sort of drive of finding the clues and trying to figure it out for yourself um i did give it five stars because i really thought it was just an incredible movie to watch like it flew long movie discourse you're canceled okay because we've said it before we'll say it again till the end of time if a movie is well paced if it's well structured if it's well done the runtime flies by and I was a little nervous. So it was a little nervous seeing that two and a half hour runtime, 
But at one point we had to pause to grab our sushi because we ordered dinner. Mm. And it felt like we'd been watching for five minutes and I paused. It was like 35 minutes had gone by. I was like, what? Like it was mm-hmm. flying. The movie flies. It's so exciting if you just give yourself over to it. It's hard not to talk about without spoiling. I, I will say I gave it five stars, even though like my nitpicky thing would be at the end, I was sort of waiting for another shoe to drop. And the ending is sort of neat in a way that I found interesting and unexpected. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part or of the subversion. I don't know. So I think maybe I need to watch it again and absorb mm-hmm. that. Um, but that was like my only nitpick. I also, there's a song that's used. I don't want to spoil it because I think it's in the first two minutes of the movie, but the song hitting you fresh, I think, is part of the humor of the song. Uh, but it plays repeatedly throughout the film as a as a joke, but also kind of a sad. It's very confusing. Rachel has decided she's obsessed with it and it, and played it thirty times in the shower this morning. I was gonna so- I was gonna ask about this because <laughs> the shower songs have come up on the show before. Yes, Rachel's shower songs are are, are ADP lore. I feel like Sandra Hewler's performance is mind blowing, and the oh, kid yeah. the kid is incredible too. It's like great kid, tremendous dog, some great prosecution. The prosecution, I wanted to punch that man. I wanted to punch <laughs> that man like no one's business. What a dick. Also, th- Twitter is very thirsty for the defense lawyer yes, right now. I don't know if you've true. seen that. It's Rachel the dude included. from Passages and this guy. Yes. Rachel's very into the the uh, lawyer twink, as Twitter is calling him, <laughs> with, the, with the gray hair and the yeah, swoopy kind of vibe. Uh, yeah, Rachel's obsessed with him, too. Uh, so... Yeah, we are not immune to Anatomy of a Fall. It's great. But Kev, I actually do not know what you watched since we last spoke. Did you watch any 2023 releases? Yes. Let me ask you. So let me ask you something. As you're catching up, yes. I'm going to ask you the question that a lot of people have asked me. And then I gave in oh. and saw the movie. Okay. Oh, my God. Are you, like, going to see Saltburn? LOL. I heard it's, like, <laughs> so edgy. <laughs> I might hate watch it i feel like i've already made my mind up about it which is not a great way to watch a movie and so i i I can't tell if i should give it time to let my bullshit go with it um i really hated promising young woman so emerald Fennell is like zero out of one for me and i just don't have hope that saltburn is going to make me enjoy her as a director but um it just seems kind of stupid and bad from everything i've read but kev do you want to talk about saltburn (laughs) No, I think you've just about covered it. Um, <laughs> I know. I feel like it's. I feel like it's a shitty way to even think about a movie. It's like I've already made my mind up about it, but I, I, I want to see it and see if it will surprise me. But I don't have hope that it will. It's yeah. I don't know. I'll leave it at this. If people want to see actually transgressive cinema with something to say in it, that came out this year. Dicks the musical is now available to rent and own on uh, digital services near you. Hopefully, they'll put out a Blu-ray. But I want a blue, yeah. Even I'll settle for a Blu-ray. Doesn't even have to be 4K. But that's a movie that has a strong message that makes sense and also has really shockingly offensive things. People <laughs> have talked about something that happens in Saltburn like it's the end of the world. It involves a bathtub. But that exact act happens in All of Us Strangers, another film that I saw last week, mm. uh, as an act of love. And it's beautiful. 
And it's not shocking and it's not transgressive and it's not shocking in Saltburn. I feel like Saltburn, if you're like old Mrs. Bookington who lives in an attic and makes scarves for her nephews and stuff, <laughs> maybe Mrs. you might Bookington. be shocked by that, right? Old Mrs. Bookington. She lives up in the attic. She's, she's ADP lore now. Old the Mrs. newest Bookington. movie, the newest movie old Mrs. Bookington has seen is Clute. <laughs> Movies end with Clute for old Mrs. I mean, Bookington. So, Clute so is Saltburn, kind of transgressive too. Like seen, Clute's actually kind of interesting. It. Oh well, it's really interestingly transgressive, but too probably much in a more me, interesting old way. Mrs. Bookington. <laughs> she goes. I don't know. Oh, like, Jane Fonda is sleeping look, with like, other men. I mean. Regular listeners of this show know who I am. I love John Waters, who made yeah. transgressive films, and the things that he had to say in those films are um, hidden, to say the least, in just very offensive stuff. You know, divine eating shit as a way to say, you know, if you thought my life is is offensive, right? Which mm-hmm. Dix is also kind of saying. Yes. Uh, <laughs> although... <laughs> The joke of Dix is that it gets out of proportion. Uh, Saltburn just has none of that. Uh, it's just pretty to look at, extremely boring. Barry is great. Um, and then there's just some stuff that's like, what are we even doing? It's just not, you know, all respect to people who dug it. I get why they dug it. It's just not why I go to the movies ever, ever. Freddie Got Fingered. Go watch that. That's an amazing transgressive movie that'll shock you. It will shock you. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to hold my opinions until I actually sit and watch the movie, but I definitely have some thoughts about this idea of um, shock value transgressiveness over actual like thought out artistic transgressiveness. I was, I, I'm just like, what do people want? Like, I don't know, but people, I, th- I think people just watch movies different than other people. And that's not a bad thing. It sounds like I'm saying no. like X, Y, Z about people, but we all come to the movies for different things. And, uh, what I like was not in Saltburn, nor was it in Rebel Moon Part One, A Child of Fire. <laughs> yeah, wow, you got two two bangers back to back. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Zack Snyder's new movie. At least this one, this one they still he's the cinematographer again. For those of you who don't know, Zack Snyder went uh, to Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm and pitched a. Um, Star Wars movie. Zack Snyder, for those who somehow don't know, is the director of the DC movies. Uh, Man of Steel, what the hell they call Batman versus Superman, and infamously Justice League, and they fi- he stepped away, and then he came back into the Snyder Cut, which is why Austin Danger Podcast exists. When we do the Snyder Cut on this show, I will tell the full story. Uh, oh, okay. And we will one day do the Snyder Cut on Austin Podcast. Jesus Christ. One day. Okay. It links. So um, he goes to head. Lucasfilm, and he's also directed Sucker Punch 300, a pretty insane misread of the of the story Watchmen and Dawn of the Dead uh, and Army Sucker of Punch. the Dead. Sucker Punch was a peak teenage McKenzie. Loved that movie, actually. Yeah. Uh, Sucker Punch was peak angry, insufferable Kev hate. We'll, we'll <laughs> I was really into Kill Bill at that time, so Sucker sure. Punch landed with me perfectly when I was 16. Sucker Punch has some pretty incredible imagery and ideas. The problem is that you can't and this is the, the continuing is really problem good. with him. He is impossible. <laughs> like, he just can't take his ideas and make them a movie. He has trouble expressing an idea, one idea. Right? Of course, in mm. Watchmen, he has so much trouble expressing the ideas of Watchmen, he made Rorschach look cool. And he cast the great Patrick Wilson as Night Owl, which 
Night Owl should look like me. He shouldn't look like Patrick Wilson. Uh, severe issue. Anyway, all this to say, his new movie is like junky Star Wars. He pitched it as a Star Wars story. Lucasfilm said no. He pitched it as a video game. Warner Brothers Interactive said no. He came to Netflix. Netflix is like, it's our big Christmas tentpole release. (laughs) Wild, Um, wild. It looks like a Netflix movie. He's the cinematographer again. So he's done this thing that I hate. It's better here because... In his last film, Army of the Dead, he had to erase the comedian Chris Delia and replace him with Tignataro. So as a result, all of the cinematography is blurry to make the scenes in which she is a little blurry to blend her in feel Uh, organic. That's my mm -hmm. theory about it. There's no way he could have just shot the whole movie blurry, right? That would be terrible. Um, (laughs) And luckily, the, the blur isn't so heavy in this new film. The bad news is that means that you can see kind of Maybe I'm crazy, but everything looks a little cheap to me in the Mm. way that Netflix stuff generally looks. I feel like they have a house style with their special effects for many of their projects. And uh, I, I hated it. It's boring. And then it's boring. Thank God we didn't go to the movie theater. I would have be, I would have been picking my nose hairs for three hours watching this thing. Wild that they committed to a two part film when the first part is now getting such horrific reviews and in four months they have to put out a second one? Well, he's also coming off the Snyder Cut and I'm sure that Army of the Dead did well for them. Like, I'm sure that they didn't just green light the movie. There's brand, like, they're, like, the watch time is going to be great, which is what they want. Yeah. Everybody's going to be watching this movie because it's free with their Netflix and Zack Snyder and nerd culture and whatever. And that's really all they care about. And if they sell some popcorn bowls and some some dolls, I don't know if you saw, but you know how they had that grotesque Wonka hat and there's some other novelty yes. movie based, like the Ecto-1 for Ghostbusters popcorn vessel, they call it. Well, at Walmart, they were selling Rebel Moon themed vessels. But what the what? vessel was, I don't fucking know because these characters are so impossibly boring. Yeah. What in the world? Anthony Hopkins plays C-3PO. He's in the movie for five minutes. His character poster is the last shot of the film. That's how little that character is in it. Oh my god. This gosh. movie is insane. Rebel Moon, I don't know. Like, I, I love the guy. And again, he's the reason that Austin Danger Podcast exists at the end of the day, if you really trace it back. What? <laughs> James Cameron is really Avatar. No, no, no. Uh, the Zack Snyder Justice League episode of 70mm is how I joined their Patreon. That's oh. the origin I was teasing before. I don't remember what made me join. I know the episode recording after I joined was The Human Condition, which is kind of yeah, hilarious. Yeah, that was a great episode. <laughs> I watched The Human Condition. It was like the first movie I watched along with The Village. Would love to see Wild. The Village watch rate on The Human Condition 2. <laughs> yeah, I need to finish the journey. But Shout out to Torrent. Shout out to Torrent. So, yeah, I mean, I wish I had happier things to say. I loved Zone of Interest. I don't feel like we'll be talking. Well, no, we'll be talking about that around awards time. American Fiction, wonderful film. Yeah, you, you've you been knocking out a ton of uh, Oscar movies. I got I to gotta check them out, too. Yeah, I've really no-lifed it. And we're going back, seeing Open Himmer. So I'm going to do... Um, I've never done that on a podcast before. It's, it's a bit I've only done to myself. But uh, I'm doing Barbenheimer today. After we get done with this, I'm going to rewatch Barbie and then going down to the Museum of the Moving Image with dear friend of the show, Scott, for 70 millimeter Oppenheimer fun. Hell yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, we're beginning that time, right? We're shuffling the deck chairs of a cruise ship that is absolutely <laughs> functional and totally never going to crash ever. Oh my God. We're getting our ducks in order. Our ducks who are majestic and invincible. Well, speaking of a sinking ship... whoop dit news What does it all mean, Basil? All right, welcome to Austin News. This is our segment where we go over the incredible amount of Austin Powers news every week. Usually, we are surprised to find there's like half a story. But this week, I do have a piece of Austin news. Oh, shit. This is incredible. I don't know if this quote is old. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show. Let me double check this. You know, I think we may have talked about this on the show. Screen <laughs> Rant is re-reporting a quote from Jay Roach from 2019. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? <sighs> about Screen Austin rant. Powers 4. To be honest, I don't know how we do it without Vern. We always had ideas of revealing a whole life yes, that many has this. that would have taken his character much further. If Mike cracks it and figures it out, we would definitely do some kind of tribute to him. I'm there if he ever wants to do it. Which skirts pretty close. I mean, A, it's re-reported news, which I need to... Did we ban Screen Rant, respectfully? I don't know, because I'm also looking up if Screen Rant has, like, 20 best, uh, most hilarious Austin Powers quotes, and it's like, shagadelic, baby, and like, okay, what are you doing, Screen oh, Rant? Oh, yeah. I, well, I mean, that's definitely their thing. Maybe they're getting legitimate traffic. I, do people really go to Screen Rant for their Austin Powers content? They should be coming here. And giving they should us be all coming to Austin Pod. Where else? Where else can you hear this incredible coverage? Well, that's that one piece of Austin news. There's also that Doctor Evil clip where he's in that. What was that video game? Was it Cyberpunk 2077? Yes, Which he was in was Cyberpunk. I think he was in Cyberpunk, and it was really good. We'll put that in the show notes. That uh, that was the original Austin news. Was the Austin Powers in Mass Effect video? Mm-hmm, all those mm-hmm. all those years plural. If you can believe it, ago. Boom. Do you want to hear my Austin news? Absolutely. It's not really Austin news. It's just something that came up about Austin Powers in my life in the last two weeks. So I watched the 2014 documentary Life Itself, the Roger Ebert documentary. Oh. Uh, cried my little eyes out. Um, but I've been really thinking about Roger Ebert and Sheen Siskel a lot lately. I love the way they talk about movies. And I've been watching old episodes of their show and just resonating with a lot of the way they talk about film. I think that voices like them are... Um, are missing a lot in film criticism and uh i miss the voices that they that they brought and, the, and the, the ideas and the ways they talked about movies i just i just miss it i feel like we wish we had more of this in film criticism and the age of internet has just changed things that's a whole that's that's a whole can of worms we could open anyway i watched the documentary and uh infamously i should say roger eber wrote the script for beyond the valley of the dolls and i'm sitting there just watching this documentary and they're talking about roger eber writing this this film and there's a character who says it's my happening and it freaks me out. And I <laughs> do a double take and I go, that's that fucking line from Austin Powers that I love. It's like one of my favorite lines in the first Austin Powers. And I could not believe. And then two days later, Rachel bought me the new book by Matt Singer, Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Eber Changed Movies Forever. And I'm on page 32, baby. And I see they're talking about Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And Matt Singer writes, within a few years, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls grew into a cult film. Mike Myers referenced it in his own spoof of 1960s pop culture, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, when he had its title character borrow Z-Man's immortal line, it's my happening and it freaks me out. And I just couldn't believe 
that the man, the goat, the the legend, Roger Eber, is technically a part of Austin history. And uh, I needed to share because I just could not believe how much Austin Powers was coming up in my Roger Eber journey. Uh, and it just made me smile. And I thought people would would get a kick out of it. That's incredible. Matt Singer, come on Austin Pod. It's a really good book. I, I just I finished the the first chunk about Siskel or uh, Eber before Siskel. And now I'm on Siskel before Eber. And then I'm getting into there relationship but the documentary is also great a lot of stuff in the documentary i'm i'm is also in this book so they pair very well together and um yeah they were two really interesting complicated but very talented men and uh i'm having a great time learning about them and being inspired by them in terms of my own writing and how i think about film hell yeah anyway that's my austin news (laughs) so that is all for austin news and now it is time Welcome, welcome Dabu Doris here on New Year's Day 2024. It is time to talk about Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, a Ron Howard joint. Which you know someone said on an award show and it stopped the show dead. Tears, tears in the (laughs) eyes of a famous person who would now be embarrassed by that joke. James Coray, hours of makeup. Was it worth it? Why don't I let Mackenzie bring us into that world and we'll suss it out. Years ago, a young creature who we call the Grinch sailed into Whoville and put the town in a pinch. Misunderstood, bullied, and laughed at was he, so he ran to the mountains where he could be free. In the present, a young girl named Cindy Lou Who is doubting her spirit in the holiday hullabaloo. She learns of the Grinch and the hardships he faced and offers him kindness so he won't feel erased. Cindy nominates the Grinch for the holiday cheermeister, but his childhood bully Augustus is still a douchemeister. Augustus proposes to Martha May and offers the Grinch a razor as a slight, so the Grinch lashes back and starts a Christmas fight. Retreating to the mountains, enraged from the holiday, the Grinch forms a plan to wash it all away. He will steal Christmas, their presents and toys, ripping away cheer from the moms, dads, little girls, and little boys. On Christmas morning, Whoville is shocked at the theft, but still find their cheer and don't feel bereft. Moved by their selfless show of community, the Grinch's heart grows three sizes at hearing of this loving unity. The Grinch returns the gifts and apologizes for his deeds, accepted and beloved once again is he. Now abandoning his signature grimace, that was the tale of how the Grinch stole Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. I'm no Dr. Seuss, but I did do my best. 
This is the kind of hard-hitting synopses that you can expect on Austin Danger Podcast. <laughs> Who else is doing this? Yeah, I mean, you know, rhyming Grimace with Christmas, really doing a great job here. Oh, well. This was a big year for Grimace, okay? This was. Grimace had a huge year. Or last year, I should say, because we're in 2024 now. Oh, right, of course. It's Dawudoris. It's New Year's Day. Donatella Grimace. <laughs> Donatella Grimace. <laughs> Hey, Grimace. Grimace. Kev, what is your history with this film? Enlighten me. We should me. record at 11 o'clock in the morning more often. <laughs> we I are know, sprightly. Normally, normally we're ADP after dark. Now we're ADP in the morning. I will say ADP after dark also, for my for my account, is usually beaten up and grim. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm spat out. We both don't have to work today, and it's like yeah. the sun is out. Like, we're vibing. It's great. It is. It is actually a really nice day. My history with The Grinch. Well, I saw The Grinch in theaters in its original run. And back in my day, this was the movie where this was the kind of thing where if there was a Christmas movie, you would see it. And then the next Christmas, you could get the tape. Mm -hmm. Yes. Think about this. Okay. These days, if it's not a month and a half out, you're like screaming, where's my movie? But this, you had to wait a year. I know Elf was like that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the big movies were. Like if you missed the Christmas movie, you'd have to wait until the next time it would be appropriate to market it to you. So the next Christmas I got Shrek and I got The Grinch and I just watched the hell out of these movies. Um, and then I haven't seen it since. This is the first time since maybe 2002 that I've wow. actually seen The Grink. The Grink. But I did have a storybook and I memorized that thing for some reason. <laughs> so funny i read a lot of the grinch storybook kenzo yeah i mean i don't remember the last time i watched this movie but like you're right like elf and the grinch these were i would say more like two modern holiday classics that like were on a lot of rotation when i was growing up because um you know i do think uh i think this maybe this is a hot take i don't know i do think elf is probably the last like real Christmas classic that's been made in the last 20 years in terms of like its longevity has really surprised me. I think probably the people who made it as well. Um, but the Grinch, I think, has also had a weirdly long uh, life because of just internet meme millennial culture. I sure. feel like the, the, Grinch, the Grinch has lived on, especially Baby Grinch, has lived on in kind of millennial meme culture. And so, yeah, I would consider them both kind of modern classics in terms of just like They've been around for a long time with no signs of stopping. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just remember watching it when I was little and watch and, and enjoying it just fine and watching it every year because it would play on ABC Family's 20-whatever days of Christmas that they would do every year. And you'd probably watch it like three times at least in the month of December if you just had the TV playing Christmas movies all month. So yeah, I mean, I haven't intentionally watched it as an adult, like genuinely. So it's probably been at least 10 years since I've seen it, but yeah, I don't know. It, it was just one of those movies I really dug as a kid because it's a Christmas movie that's made for my age group, theoretically. Though, as we will discuss, there is a lot of uh, mature things in this movie in a way that is a little tonally f weird when you watch it as an adult. I think reconciling it with the cat in the hat makes things make a bit more sense on, on the cat in the hat side. Mm -hmm. Because cat in the hat doesn't have the... They did build that whole neighborhood, right? And the production values are huge. But the scope of it is much smaller than this giant Whoville crazy production design. The story of the Grinch is a bit more complicated. And they added on a bunch of stuff onto that. Mm -hmm. 
there's way more going on in the Grinch, so perhaps you don't notice. Whereas the cat in the hat, you know, you know, he's doing Linda Richmond, he's doing, you know, his butt cracks coming out. He's yeah. doing, oh, you dirty hoe. Like, that's like half the movie. <laughs> yes. Whereas also, Ron Howard, I don't know what he was thinking, but a lot of that stuff is hidden. Yeah, I mean, this film obviously has hidden. issues, right? Yeah, uh, this film obviously has issues, right? There's like, there's just jokes that feel a little too mature in a way that is just unneeded. Like the 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 Martha May horniness that pervades this film, it just feels so weird to be showing children in a, in a Christmas what, movie. What, sexual Luhu? Yeah, like- What I was mean, that yeah. about? I love Martha May. She is serving this whole film. She's, she's fabulous. I love Christine Baranski, but she is so weird in this movie to me as a character. Um, and yeah, there's just like jokes that don't land because they're just trying too hard to appeal to adults that would be watching this with their children. But I also still like so much of this movie because I, I do love the makeup and production design. Like Whoville feels real and lived in like the, the, I don't, it's one of those charms I think of movies that aren't made in, in the dome anymore. Like, the the world you could tell they're walking on it and they're interacting with the the this kind of yes cartoonish but like very physical lived in world and I think the makeup plays so well like even the close ups of the Grinch I think I was watching it in a very high quality <laughs> picture because um I think the Grinch makeup is actually kind of incredible like I think that Jim Carrey he has his physical uh, trademarks that we expect from him when when he does his comedy but he does kind of disappear into the makeup. Like the Grinch really feels like a living, breathing creature uh, because I just think the makeup and the costumes and the production design are really impressive and really evoke uh, the cartoonishness of the world to me. So yes, I, th- I think the cinematography is kind of hideous. Like it's kind of weirdly like blurry. Like everything's like in a sauna almost. Like, yes. Okay. The it weird, is absolutely, yeah. you know what they're trying to do is they're trying to do a Christmas glow. Yes, and it just kind of right, reads like really Norman weird. Rockwell kind of classical thing. But the yeah. problem is, like, the content is subversive. Again, as we're as we'll discuss in a little too much, um, and also the production design is so good. It's it's like, t- it's hard to reconcile around. I think people just like see the bad parts of it and are like, "Ah, this movie sucks." But much like the the. I think this is better than Cat in the Hat because it does feel a bit more, I don't know, grounded, weirdly. Um, and uh, I think the bar that, like, is so low, though. The bar is on the floor, yes. I agree but with I also you, though. You're right. I find that to be a fun movie. I find, I find the Cat in the Hat to be fun for exactly what it is. And I feel the same way about this. I think that, like, the makeup and certain production aspects elevated a little higher than Cat in the Hat for me. But I still find this, um, it's negative aspects don't, like, the script is pretty weak. I do think the the overwrought weird like love triangle backstory is just unneeded i think like it's just they add so much Can't to it, just it feels, hate christmas yeah. like yeah it's overstuffed but like you know all that to say i still think the positive outweighs the the negative for me with this movie personally yeah i agree i like that stuff kind of for an attempt but there's too much of it how long is this i'm trying it's to like out almost two hours right it's, it's two hours too long. long so yeah that's it's a little 20 too long. minutes right there you can lose and the grinch just hates christmas yeah, but I, I feel like Ron Howard is sitting there like, I got to know why he hates Christmas. Yeah, yes. Gotta have and the I have origin think, story. And I think that's a failure because the, does the I've never actually read the Grinch book. I have to assume the, the Grinch book does not give a backstory. He's just like a, a Yeti almost that lives in the mountains and hates Christmas. No, this is all exclusively new and exclusive to this version. I 
it, it, when we delayed the episode, because when the Grinch stole our show and yes. no other reason, <laughs> I was like, oh, I should watch the Benedict Cumberbatch, the Illumination Grinch. And then I didn't. So, mm. but I can't imagine that there is some like big backstory there. Let's, let's find out. I think that that's a weird like inclination. I think they have. Oh is my there... God. The Grinch was alone in an orphanage. That makes more sense. Giving him parents in this movie is kind of weird because they seem like nice, lovely ladies. I like to joke that the that the the Grinch has gay moms because, like, why the fuck are these two older women just living together and raising a baby together? They're gay and in love, but um, and they throw their little key parties, which again, insane joke to put into a kids movie. This key party joke, um, yeah, giving him moms is kind of weird because it's like, so he had loving parents and he just like fucked off to like him being an orphan makes a bit more sense because he's also we got to talk is he a who what is he is the grinch yeah, his so race or his great. name this is what is going this on this is my core takeaway from this story and it's in two chunks to dress them chunk a chunk b or no let's thing one and thing two uh-huh. thing one <laughs> the grinch let's presume that the who's are created by a godlike figure with a weird snout as well Okay. Right? Truly, God must have created the Grinch. But there is only one Grinch. There is no other Grinches in the world. Yeah. God created this th- this creature. We're all creatures, right? I'm a creature. You're, we're all creatures, right? We're all animals. Let's, let's speak with that language in mind. But he created this creature, this Grinch, um, to look like the most evil person possible. His eyeballs are yellow IRL. Okay? This dude is scary. Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, like, like what is I was... the purpose of this creature? Like obviously, obviously the human race, right, exists outside of the animal world now. Right? Yes. No, we don't and we do, right? We have created a world that exists outside of Darwin's I can't believe I'm doing this. We've we've created a world <laughs> and a society. We live in a society outside of Darwin's rules to an extent. We have of course there's Darwinism all over our, our communities. But my point is, like, I'm not going to get eaten by a lion today, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. If I go to the zoo and climb in there, maybe. <laughs> but I have to go out of my way. Am I to believe that the Grinch just is good? What is his nature? He flies in. Who sent him there? See, when you do the backstory, now all these other questions start coming up. Because he's sent like, in the same way that the Who babies are. So is he like a deformed Who baby? Because the Who babies also come in on the little shoots, right? The little, the little. Is he umbrellas. a fallen angel? Is he? Is he? Is Satan? he the devil? Is he, who's is he Satan, Satan on Earth? <laughs> Did the Who's yeah. solve Satan? I I. Like, I'm not anti-Grinch, obviously, but he, like, the fact that there isn't, like, a bunch of other Grinches, or is the Grinch's name, like, he's a little confused. But now we're getting the semantics of a children's book that make, you know, it doesn't, it's it's supposed to be. Okay. Can I, can I use thing one to broach thing two? Please. So, generally, the story is pretty simple. He steals Christmas, and then they have Christmas anyway, because fuck you, fascist Grinch. And then he, uh, he warms up, and he comes down, and he gives them the Christmas, and he carves the beast. Cool. Yes. This Whoville is racist against the Grinch. They do not like him. They do not trust him. He publicly gives them a reason not to trust him. It's it's much more complicated. So then he comes down with all their stuff and they just believe he's good and go right back to being stupid. They're racist. I would have liked it if, if like five Who's were a little uncomfortable about inviting the Grinch to dinner or going up Mount Crumpet. 
I mean, yeah, they are. Because here's the thing. It's like, I think that... Hmm... Now we're getting into nature versus nurture see, because now we're they, now we're inviting. See, they, like Ron they, invites this with the key party shit. Okay, they, let's broach it like adults. They take they take in the baby, and he's already malicious. Like he's a malicious baby who eats glass That's instantly. Right. So we're we're led to believe that it's not <laughs> nurture; it's nature. Like he is naturally, uh, he is naturally inclined to evil, I guess, but he can see him as a child trying to be good and normal and you're right it's like the bullying that pushes him too far so yeah the who's are the who kids are just a bunch of like racist assholes i i don't know i don't even know i what don't I'm think saying. their reaction is gee thanks satan <laughs> thanks for thanks for giving back our stuff you stole satan i i would say the reaction is more like Life in prison or worse. I don't know how the who's approach. I mean, crime. that's the thing is the who's um their their selflessness is I think what makes its heart grow three sizes. Sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> but then I just don't believe, and maybe this is my, you know, some current events Kev coming out. I just don't think that a population of people so so set on culturally hating the Grinch. But just immediately be like, has like, yeah, they're not going to have the Grinch lead an NBC sitcom on Thursday night in Whoville, right? The Grinch isn't coming on after Friends. He's not like widely accepted now, magically. I think that if he wanted to tell a more mature story, the Grinch, uh, it should have been a rockier transition. He should have been like, I've given you some roast beast. And they would tentatively take it. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're going to add some, add add stuff to that aspect of it, add stuff to the... But then that ruins that, that. I feel like that ruins the the ending, right? The ending is supposed to be that this like selflessness makes everyone better, and we all get to celebrate together. Like it is, we're yeah. ultimately talking about a children's book, you know? Yeah, I agree. But you know what also ruins it? Tell me. The entire backstory and all the weird sex stuff, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's definitely so unneeded. It's already technically now. This is a, a decent movie on its own terms. I think not to give my 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 opinions away. But uh, this is like a, a fun enough movie on its own terms. But like, I feel like the original story is already lost. I agree because it takes so long to get to the original story. I think that the additions right. are, they do ultimately feel unneeded. I think the backstory stuff, the the relationship stuff, I do think it ultimately feels unneeded because what is compelling is the stuff from the original novel. Like, I think the relationship between the Grinch and Cindy is interesting. I think Where Are You Christmas is a lovely little song that actually kind of tugged on my heartstrings this time because I am almost 30 and feeling that feeling of like, as you get older, the Christmas magic continues to to wane more and more as you continue to get older and you want to know where that spirit has gone and watching a child feel that I think it's really relatable and uh, it tugs on my heartstrings as an adult. And so like, that's great. And her sort of standing in for the natural empathy and love that children can have. Right. I think kids are taught bigotry. I really do think that because I don't like, like kids don't. And so like seeing this, like this child who's untethered from the bullshit of the rest of Whoville, who just wants to extend love and kindness to the Grinch. And Jim Carrey, I think plays that emotion so well. Like when he, when the Grinch is realizing that this kid cares about him, um, you see him be touched and Jim Carrey, I think some of the best parts of the movie are just when he's being funny on his own. Like when, like Mm -hmm. I genuinely think the whole going through his schedule part is so funny. Love it. How about those hoots? Inviting me down now on such short notice. 
even if I wanted to go. My schedule wouldn't allow it. Four o'clock, wallow in self-pity. Four thirty, stare into the abyss. Five o'clock, solve world hunger. Tell no one. Five thirty, jazzercise. Six thirty, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. Seven o'clock, wrestle with myself, loathing. I'm booked. Of course, if I bump the loathing to nine, I could still be done in time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling, and slip slowly into madness. But what would I wear? I would have rather them just committed to the character and then the book, because like the relationship with Cindy Lou Who, the actual stealing of Christmas, the returning of Christmas, all that stuff is super fun. And Jim Carrey just being the Grinch and being funny is all fun. The backstory and all the extra shit is where it gets um, annoying and, and bad, I think. Plus, it also gives Jim Carrey more time for the shtick. Like, I thought that the lists were going to be more of a runner because there yes. were two of them. Yes. Or I think, was there a third? I don't know. But there were like a handful. Like, he's just so funny. Like, there's, there's a whole chunk of the movie when he's when he's kind of more by himself and he's just kind of like being funny that like, I was just enjoying myself because he is very funny. Like, like, and he is so, he's just doing, like, he's doing a fun kind of twist on his normal comedy shtick with the Grinch in a way that I, I just find very entertaining. Like, in the same way that I find Mike doing some of, you know, some of his normal shticks with the cat. I find that entertaining. Like I, it's it's the same thing here. Like I just find Jim as the Grinch to be like genuinely just like very funny and very fun to watch. And then they, they, they muddle it with a lot of other stuff that just, yeah. Yep. But also Bransky is so funny. Even if I think her character is completely useless, I wrote down the part where she goes, did I have a crunch on the Grinch? (laughs) Of course not. And then, and then Cindy Lou who goes, I didn't, I didn't ask you if you had a crush on the Grinch. And then Christine Baranski makes this hilarious face. Like she is so funny. Like she's like Martha May is completely useless as a character, but she is very funny as Martha May. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if this is the kind of movie where we had this long philosophical discussion that went so many different places (laughs) that now I feel like we're at the part of the show where we need to take the opposite approach and pop some corn. We could pop some corn. You want to pop some corn? Let's do it. I don't have a lot, so I'm good. I, I do have a bunch of different things. <gasps> Ooh. Um, may I go first? Please. Yeah, so the first big thing, I didn't get to fit this in our earlier discussion about it, but the overblown production design reminded me a lot of the Flintstones, which we've covered very recently. Yes. As well as that kind of bloat of like, oh, we built a whole neighborhood for Zum Zimmeru Man to hang out in in the Cat in the Hat. Although, you know, I love my Zumzimaru. You love Zumzimaru, yeah. He is the greatest character that has ever been covered on the show, including Roland Taverner and Ronald Taverner. So think about that. I love Zumzimaru, man. Uh, So, yeah, a lot of Flintstones vibes, a lot of the best, and Adam's family, and we'll cover a lot of movies in this era that are like this. Uh, We talked about the soft focus. Marching band, Vern Troyer is in the marching band, and there's a little CG man inside the tuba. I wrote, is this an act of cultural terrorism? But I don't know what the context around that was. So. Oh my God. I didn't even recognize Vern with the who knows. Yes. I looked him up on, on, on Google. He has the, Probably he has the who knows. Yeah. I did not even recognize him. Oh my gosh. Um, what else is going on? Oh, if we're talking about scenes that expanded, I liked the teens going up to the Grinch as a Jaws-like way to open for yes, like kids. 
Mm-hmm. I thought that I was a really clever echo. And we also covered Jaws on the show. Um, really clever echo of that film. Uh, for what that's worth, for what that's worth, and also a great way to echo that bigotry is taught. It is it is nurture. Mm-hmm. Um, the Grinch Spider-Manning in the corner. I was watching 30 Rock last night and I saw Tracy Morgan do the same thing. And that always <laughs> makes me laugh, even when it's played to be scary. Somebody hugging the corner of a wall. Uh, of course, Austin Danger podcast episode Bo is Afraid has one of the gr- another one of the greatest all time, like bracing yourself up against a ceiling in midair. Uh, always a funny beat. Let's see. Molly Shannon. Great. Future legend. Just Future right ledge. place, right time. When we do Superstar, oof, oof. Put it in the Hall of Fame. The music playing during the key party is Smash Mouth. <gasps> wow. <laughs> their legacy. Their legacy on this show. Um, there's a viral clip of a community theater production of The Grinch. I don't think it's viral. I think I saw it and I thought it was funny. But it was a Grinch and they some of they were doing an Invader Zim voice for The Grinch. And it's just a really insane read. I have to see if I can find it and I'll send it to you. One man's toxic sludge is another man's potpourri. It was a wild choice as Grinch and it brought me back to that moment. I have to look that up and see if I can find it. Um, Barry Lyndon-esque natural lighting in sexual Lou Who's living room. <laughs> I love that you call her se- Martha May Huvier. Sure, it's sexual Lou Who. <laughs> I bet you the final draft draft of that has that name first. Grinch wearing a garter. The the landing in Baranski's tits, which is how I write it in the in my notes. Yes. That was way more obvious and stupid than I thought. <laughs> There's also not to do one of my popcorn notes early, late, early, but there's a part where she falls onto the bag, and she makes the most erotic sound <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> like when she falls into a into that huge bag at the end. I don't even. She was on one in this <laughs> filming this popular type of joke to make in this era, like a riff on a game show. It's when Jeffrey Tambor is listing the gifts he's giving to sexual Luhu, uh, a car, a whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the crazy tiktok proposal yes very popular in this era also jokes made in shrek to that effect Ooh, yes you're right you're absolutely right sorry a lot of links back to previous episodes tying together the quilt of the canon here because this also reminded me of the mask whoa Jim, yeah super expressive also playing kind of over the top character under heavy makeup um, I was reminded of the Klasky Chupo McDonald's tapes from the mid nineties where it was also wacko overdone production design. They would, it would be like a 20 minute cartoon bookended by live action segments of Ronald, like basically in a Pee Wee's Playhouse type environment with a puppet dog. Mm. They also used kind of very soft focus and almost blurry to uh, create a vibe so very interesting echo of that. Uh, the Grink skiing down Mount Crumpet. I just wrote that, so that can't be good. Yeah, Christine <laughs> screaming as she jumps off the sleigh. Yeah, <laughs> super weird. My last note is Christine is ridiculously beautiful in this, and she's going to fuck the Grink. <laughs> so that's my last note. Merry Christmas. 
Oh, gosh. This wasn't out of popcorn, though, but I had the Wikipedia for the character of the Grinch pulled up while we were talking about what the fuck is he. And I need you to know, I, as I was coming over to this tab to exit out of it, um, I saw this sentence in the middle of this kind of character description area. Cardiologist David Cass suggested that the rapid growth of the Grinch's heart at the end of the story indicates that the Grinch has the physiology of a Burmese python. Which is just a hilarious sentence. I guess Burmese pythons' hearts grow quickly? I don't know. What? There's a cardiologist who thinks that the Grinch is part Burmese python. Here's the mastery of Dr. Seuss. The guy (laughs) knew when to stop. That's the thing is, in the book, they put on the book, literally the only sentence describing a backstory is, no one quite knows the reason why he doesn't like Christmas. I don't need to know. Sometimes in life, things just are the way they are. Very Banshees of Inna Sharon of Dr. Seuss. To leave it (laughs) ambiguous. But sometimes it really is like that. And people just don't like things for XYZ reason. And you have to live with that. And you may never get an explanation. Yeah. Um, I said I don't have a lot of um, notes, but I do. There's that shot that lives in my mind rent-free that I feel like was on all of the commercials for ABC Family, which is that weird shot of Jim at when he first meets Cindy Lou Who going, da, da, da. The Grinch. The and then Grinch. like yeah, and then like zooming into the camera. Like that was on every commercial for this movie ever. And so when yeah, that that's in my notes too. Yeah, when that came up, it was like that's that's that shot. Um I bet you I bet you on the day they shot it, Ron looked at the dailies and was like, that's gotta be a great trailer. That's the trailer shot, yeah. There's yeah. I don't remember when this is, but there was a part <laughs> there's a part where I wrote, Why is the camera constantly ebbing like we're on water a la triangle of sadness uh, i think there was just a part where the camera was just moving like those boat scenes and triangle of sadness and i was annoyed by it um i didn't see it i wrote bransky so hot as martha may it's annoying i love when she goes the muscles um just a hilarious bransky moment i kind of just kept continued writing notes about how good because this is post you know i mean well just on the tail of something like the Truman show where Carrie is really starting to flex his like actor muscles and show like, Hey, I can do more than just throw my body around and be goofball all the time. Like he is showing he's entering into this era where he would be, I think showing up with a lot of really interesting, nuanced, dramatic performances. And he's bringing a little bit of that to the Grinch. And I think that's why I love it. Like I love the transformation he, he pulls as the Grinch and his scene on the rooftop where he's growing his heart and he's really just having to monologue and really pull that whole scene together on his own. Uh, it really works. I just, I genuinely love his performance as the Grinch. Oh, um, yeah. And then I think I just wrote, the last thing I wrote was, what is the deal? Uh, that's the last thing I wrote, which I think is just a very <laughs> funny Jim uh, line delivery. Uh, those were my popcorn notes. I didn't have a ton. Do we want to go final thoughts? Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, on my end, this movie was not the last huge overproduced kids movie, right? I didn't talk about it, uh, but I did see and love Paul King's Wonka, Mm. which is the latest in this tradition. And very much like The Grinch, it's got a lot of unnecessary backstory. It's delightful. It's really pleasant to look at. And there are some fat jokes for some reason. So, you know, very similar legacy continues. Our, our show is generally about ideas that have gone away. And I say this because I was about to say that this was one of the last movies, but it's not. We just got old. Yeah. Is what happened. 
right? We will one day do a movie called Doolittle on Austin Pod, starring oh, Robert Downey Jr. And we'll eventually do Gulliver's Travel, starring Jack Black and Yogi Bear. And and we're starring Dan Aykroyd and Justin Timberlake as, no joke, this is true, Yogi Bear and Boo Boo. Oh my God. And, and we'll see that evolution just into total shit. But was it, is it shit or do we think it's shit because it's not for us? I don't yeah. know. But all this to say, I think this movie is fun and successful enough. I think it's sturdy enough. Typical Ron Howard, completely sturdily put together that you can dissect the parts and you can see like, okay, the muffler is weird and this crankshaft is strange or whatever it is you talk about when you are looking at parts of a car. Very similar deal. Uh, does that mean it's great? No, but I have fun watching it. Am I going to watch it every year? No, but it was fun to revisit for the purposes of the show. I would say because of the Jim Carrey of it all and how much that means to me, Jim Carrey, as I've said before on the show, is an institution in my home. Uh, I'm at three and a half stars for the Grink, which is pretty high. Honestly, I'm probably right there with you, actually, at three and a half um, on my or, or my profile, three with a big fat heart, because I do think that this is more successful. Like, I think that though it has its kind of unnecessary elements of it and it it invites you to overthink the film uh, sometimes, especially if you're like us and you're on a podcast trying to fill time talking about The Grinch. Um, That's right. Challenging. But, <laughs> but I still think it um, is more successful than The Cat in the Hat in a lot of different ways. And, you know, and, and, and many of that is the performances, I think, are a little bit better in this film. I like the production design a little bit better. And so while I like The Cat in the Hat, uh, I do think this is a bit more successful in other aspects. And yeah, I love Jim's performance in this. I, I do find the, the, the uh, yes, the sexual humor feels weird in a kid's movie, but I as an adult find it quite funny. And uh, I don't know, it's just an enjoyable movie to watch. I think it should be a little bit shorter. I think it should cut a little bit of its extraneous fat off the sides a little bit. But yeah, I'm three and a half as well, three or three to big fat heart because it's, it's an enjoyable Christmas movie. Uh, it's, it's kind of a relic, weirdly. Like, it feels like kind of a relic of its time, but it's uh, it's still fun. It's New Year's Day, y'all. Talking about the Grinch. Dabu Doris. You know what's crazy? When they're listening to this, I'm seeing uh, Edward Yang's A Brighter Summer Day. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in hour five of that as you're listening. Please come rescue me. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be great. All right. Should we do the show? Let's do the show. I love gold. The Grinch was nominated for three Academy Awards. Rick Baker won Best Makeup in 2001, which is extremely impressive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the makeup is great. The makeup genuinely is probably one of the best parts of the movie. I'm, I'm now seeing the competition was the, the Cell and Shadow of the Vampire. So maybe oh, okay. not, as big of a, <laughs> not as big of a competition as I expected. <laughs> Because I'm thinking, because I saw 2001 Oscars, but it's 2001 for films in 2000. Mm. Of course, 2001, <laughs> you have Fellowship of the Ring and you have Harold of House Potter, et cetera. So. Um, also, best set, direct, best set Decoration and Best Costume Design nominees. So congratulations on that. For the, at the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, which I love, James Carey won Favorite Actor in a Comedy. Christine Baranski and Molly Shannon nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Okay. Jeffrey Tambor for Best Supporting Actor, which is, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> He's so, nothing He has this. maybe 15 lines. 
wild. I know, of course, our favorite female newcomer, Taylor Momsen. Welcome, mm-hmm. welcome, Dabu Doris. Congratulations. It's an honor just to be nominated, they say. There you go. By the way, favorite actor in a comedy, Jim Carrey beat two people, the Marlon and Sean Wayans from Scary Movie, Martin Lawrence from Big Mama's House, and Eddie Murphy from Nutty Professor 2 The Clumps, which... If you follow me on Instagram, you will know that I've been sharing. There have been photos going around recently of a moment where Eddie Murphy was on the lawn filming the clumps at, and the Grinch was filming on the yes. Universal lot at the same time. And so Eddie Murphy came to the Grinch set in the clump outfit. Yes, I've and seen this. And they took hilarious photos and we will be sharing them on the Austin Pod socials this week. So keep an eye out for that. At the 2001 Kids' Choice Awards, The Grinch won Favorite Movie. (gasps) And Jim Carrey won Favorite Movie Actor. Also, winner that, and also a winner that night, Cameron Diaz for Best Burp in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Is there a burp? Or maybe it's the burp from Shrek. I'm trying to think if there's a burp in Full Throttle. I mean, Natalie, her character is the kind of like. Oh, gross maybe one? it's the original. I'm think. seeing here Drew Barrymore won favorite movie actress for Charlie's Angels, so maybe. Oh, uh, okay. It's that. I mean, she probably burps. I get it. Like, Natalie's kind of the gross one out of, out of them, which is like that's the juxtaposition. She's like really bubbly and hot, but she's also like burps and wears boys' underpants. So that's kind of her. That's her shtick, you know. I'm seeing here Tom Cruise from Awesome Powers and Goldmember won the Wannabe Award, but I don't wannabe know what that award. Is. Okay. The Wannabe Award was a silver version of the blimp and was presented to the best celebrity role model. Oh, I want to be. Oh, like I want to be this person. Okay, that makes more sense than a wannabe. What was Cameron Diaz doing in 2008 that she was the Wannabe Award recipient? 2008, and my brain is saying the other woman. <laughs> she was... I'm not kidding you. Like that is that the movie that came out in 2008? No, what um, happens in Vegas is what she did in 2008. What happens in Vegas? Shrek the Third. Oh, okay. Had just come out, so right. maybe they wanted her there. I don't know. This thing is bullshit. Their favorite show was Rugrats, and this was in the Dill era where Rugrats was basically over. So, what does that tell you? Elsewhere in the world of gold, the MTV Movie and TV Awards, Jim Carrey won Best Villain. Congratulations! At the Razzies, of course, nominated for Best Remake or Sequel and Worst Screenplay. What won? Oh, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 won worst sequel. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Which was junk. And Battlefield Earth won worst screenplay. So uh, I feel good about that personally. Hell yeah. The Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, of course, punish the fucking kid. Disrespectful. Disrespectful. Do not make fun of the child. All right, that's I Love Gold. We're moving on now to the Alan Parsons Project, our ongoing project to link the movies we cover to the Austin Powers franchise. And we have three massive links in the acting category. The man manning the radar in Austin Powers, Clint Howard, the brother of Ron, who makes cameos in, I believe, <gasps> almost all of his films. Wait, are you kidding? And is the ice cream man. Yes? They're, you they're brothers? Clint and Ron Howard. I did not know Clint Howard was Ron Howard's brother. Have you seen them side by side? No, I'm Googling it now. Clint Howard looks like, look, he's a good looking guy, but he kind of looks like the store brand Ron Howard. I hate to say it. I am. They look slightly off. Oh my God. There's a photo of them I just found. Just go, everyone Google Cl- Clint they wrote Ron a book Howard. together, so. There's a photo of them as babies, and I love how Clint Howard's face has not changed at all since he was a child. 
they look I they look the same. That's kind of endearing. <laughs> like little baby Clint Howard looks I mean? identical. Yeah, that's I just didn't know they were brothers. That's insane to me. Yeah, wild, right? So crazy. Wow. So yeah, that's happening. Clint Howard, thank you for that. We will one day cover Ice Cream Man on Austin Danger Podcast, and that's kind of his big claim to fame. But he's he's in a lot of other movies. We'll talk about him. Mm-hmm. Mindy Sterling, Frau Farbessina. I barely clocked her. Did you see her? She's one of the moms. She's one of the Grinch moms. She's one of the, oh, she's one of the Grinch moms. Yeah, she's ah, one of the Grinch. Fuck, That's, that makes sense to me now. Yeah, she's one of the Grinch moms. I wasn't even paying attention. <laughs> Shout out to Mindy Sterling. Vern Troyer, we've discussed as the band person. Seems like this may have happened before Shagged Me or before it came out at I least. I think so, Because he's yeah. credited as Vern J. Troyer, which Ooh. I haven't seen that credit elsewhere. Some other comebacks, kind of a brief this week. There are a bunch of names that link, and you can go look on IMDb for that. But just some familiar names. Smash Mouth playing at the key party. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Luis de Tulio, our flautist <gasps> du jour. The queen. The, uh, the queen of the eyeglasses, Wendy Altman Cohen. Patty Miller from the makeup department. There's a bunch of others that came back, but those are just some that I wanted to call out because they're on the show a lot. Yeah. There you are. You're over there. We have a few use over there, actually. What? Um, what? What? <laughs> we what? We didn't check in on this before the episode. This is actually from like two weeks ago. This is our dear friend Scott writing in about uh, waiting for Guffman, actually. Uh, so Scott says, amazing episode, perhaps the most magical episode in ADP history. Thank you, Scott. Uh, but I wanted to give some extra time to Bob Balaban in this movie. I think he's yes, so, thanks. so funny in an understated way. His quiet anger at Corky throughout the film is so hilarious, and he takes the conducting so seriously. Underrated MVP of the movie, in my opinion. Anyway, thank you for a wonderful year of silly and thoughtful episodes. Scott, witness of death. <laughs> thank you so much, Scott. And that's like that's the perfect example of what I talk about when I say, like if you want something talked about, write it in. Um, and that was brilliantly put. Nothing to add. Thank you, Scott. Um, and I have, I, this didn't come in our email, but it actually, again, was, um, I, I was leaving to take the trash out one day at the back door. It was actually taped to my door and it's written on a series of McDonald's napkins. No. Uh, <laughs> a message from old Boone. Um, so I feel, let me just unwrap this, um, these wet, they're wet napkins. It's very strange how the, uh, how the ink has stayed on these wet napkins. Um, but old Boone wants to say, hello and moderate holidays to, <laughs> holidays to, yeah, I don't know. Likewise. Talk moderate about holidays. moderate. Old Boone already <laughs> nailing it. He's the voice of a generation. This <laughs> it's a new year of podcasting. So let's get this fresh year. Ma- oh, okay. Well, this is a open staff meeting, everyone. It's a f- new year of podcasting. So let's get this fresh year staff meeting started. I call this first meeting of 2024 to review and recap the many downfalls of the past and few successes. Uh, perhaps I should take attendance. Okay, then Kevin present Mackenzie present greg present old boone yes it's me again old boone executive producer key grip and gaffer of austin danger podcast i'm glad somebody's gaffing um in response to my last email i'm doing fine thanks for asking the swelling has gone down and i have finally i mean the swelling i was worried about it and i finally hung up that pirate flag we were all talking about now enough niceties i noticed many most of my requests have been implemented into the show but there is still much to change first things first imagine most of our okay also i want to say um for some reason all the text is normal and then this section is written with like 30 size font and i don't know why 
First things first, imagine most of our viewers are listening while gargling with Listerine mouthwash, not endorsed. We want them spitting that blue goo out with laughter. We need people accidentally sucking the wash down their throat and wheezing for air. I know this personally. I have comfortably kept Listerine in my mouth for an entire episode of this show. Also, Does which one is... realize it's like alcohol? Like pure yeah, alcohol? Yeah, it's not good for you to swallow. Um, also, maybe that's why old Boone writes this way. is because old <laughs> Boone's just blasted so on Listerine. Um, also, which one is Austin? We have a Kevin. We have a McKenzie. We have a Greg. Listeners are jabbing their jaws trying to figure out which one is Austin. Here are just a few quick fixes I bumped into while listening to this episode. You are recording so far. Okay. No more message from Kev. We will now have massages from Kev. Every 10th caller will win an Express VPN. Greg will join the pod. Who's Greg? Who's joining the podcast as a co-host? Who is Greg? Do you not see him? He's behind the glass. Oh, 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 that's who that is? That's Greg? He's the janitor okay. right here at the studio. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Greg, you're joining as a co-host now, according to old Boone. Uh, there will be a mid-year special where we do not use vowels. Now I have nothing to say about this movie you watched, but here are some movies we must cover in the coming year. Boone Daycare, Boone School Musical, Boone It On, Boone Hard, The Boonie Boone Story, Miracle on Boonie Fourth <laughs> Street, <laughs> Boone, spelled B-U-N-E, part two. I really... <laughs> <laughs> that was the best one, I think. Uh, <laughs> I really do wish you all a successful year with one singular moment of gentle embarrassment each. Remember, you make a da moolah, boonie make a da moolah. More soon, your boss and friend, old Boone. <laughs> we got to get old Boone on. When are we doing Back to the Future on this show? When are we doing Back to the Future featuring old Boone? Oh, my God. Uh, thank you, old Boone, for, for those notes. We will take them into consideration. Uh, in a new year, new us. It is officially 2024. I know. It's crazy. So much going on already on Austin Danger Podcast. We got our third anniversary coming up. We got Austin Danger Podcast, uh, episode 100. Mm-hmm. Or is it our second? We're entering year three, so it's our second anniversary. Second anniversary, but episode 100, um lots just so much stuff planned for the future and i should say before we leave i got so distracted by old boone's notes i forgot to say if you also want to email us uh you can email us at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com with your letters and voicemails about uh i don't know about old boone about uh, the grink about whatever we're watching next week but uh that's how you can get a hold of us hey here's a question what are we watching next week let me spin this wheel I'm going to say an actor to you. And then I want you to guess what movie we're watching. Okay. JLC, baby. Okay. She returns to the pod. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis returns to the pod. A Fish Called Wanda. No. Okay. Um, Is it before or after? After Wanda. Freaky Friday. Yes. We're watching Freaky Friday. Yeah. Great movie. That's great. (laughs) I haven't watched this in forever. I love the tagline on Letterboxd. Mondays are manic, Wednesdays are wild, and Fridays are about to get a little freaky. That's a, It's a great movie. It was on one day, you know, when you're a young man, especially a young man who likes musical theater and you have a chip on your shoulder because you're kind of weird and uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you cast off things. You say, hairspray, no, this is a, a woman's game. Freaky Friday <laughs> is not for me. And then what happens is you grow up. Mm-hmm. So one day this movie was on cable and it did the rare thing of bringing our entire family together on this like Wednesday afternoon over the summer to watch Freaky Friday with Lindsay Lyon and Jimmy Lee Curtis. 
And uh, maybe it'll bring your family together too. Probably not, but like maybe. I I mean, I loved this movie growing up. Haven't watched it probably since I was like 10 or 11. So very excited to watch some Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday, Walt Disney Studios' own Jamie Lee Curtis, Lindsay Lohan from the early 2000s. You can find it on Disney Plus, Home of the Haunted Mansion 2023, also starring Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and we'll be talking about that next week on episode 98 of Austin Danger Podcast. It's getting real. We're creeping up. But until then, from Mackenzie, this is Kev. Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. Oppenheimer, it's me, Iron Man. <laughs> what? Where's your evidence, Oppenheimer? (laughs) So stupid. I love it. What am I even saying? I don't know. I don't know what voice you're doing. I don't know what. It sounds like you're doing the come out and play. Yeah, it's the the kid from the Warriors. But you're Louis Louis Strauss as the kid from the Warriors, (laughs) as Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Um, Warriors. When is he going to do Chaplin 2? (laughs) What else happened in Chaplin's life that we can cover in a movie?